Chapter Forty Seven of Order Number Eleven. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Order Number Eleven by Carolyn Abbott Stanley. Chapter Forty Seven. A Chapter of Beginnings and Endings one by one the lights began to twinkle over grand prairie in the cabins sometimes or in little shanties near where the chimneys stood sometimes in the shell of the house that was then pioneer life began again and the people were very close to one another in their poverty the story of that coming back is almost as touching in its way as the tragical one of their deportation two years before there is something very pathetic about the beginnings of middle life or old age but there is one beautiful trait in human nature as time rolls on we forget the disagreeable and hard things of life and remember the pleasant and humorous ones we cannot help it our souls are fashioned that way he who made them knew that the burden of all our sorrows would be intolerable and so it is that when a company of those exiles get together now they always speak of the ridiculous figure they cut and the funny incidents of the journey and the helping hands that were held out to them on their return and not of the woes of it all these make only the shadows of the picture that serve to bring out the highlights and distance has thrown such a haze over it and the whole has been so softened by time that it seems now more a dramatic incident in a play than the sharp reality it was forty years ago in those trying days of beginning again they labor together to build up the walls and as in the days of nehemiah every man repaired over against his own house the similitude to the exiled jews did not end here for the years following peace were far from peaceful years along the border it might almost have been said of them as of the house of judah they which builded on the wall and they that bear burdens every one with one of his hands wrought in the work and with the other hand held a weapon the passions of men cannot be wrought up to fever heat through years of marauding and violence and bloodshed to be calmed instantaneously by executive decree war began early for the border full half a decade before the deluge came and it did not end with the proclamation of peace for years there were occasional wild bursts of outlawry which can be traced to quantrell's band the james boys got their start then on the other side of the line were ruffians who had been trained in the same school that they should immediately settle down into good and reputable citizens was almost too much to expect of frail human nature a taste of pillage 
is to the human tiger as a taste of blood to his brother in the jungle it whets his appetite for more so it is hardly to be wondered at that along the harried border peace should have been a work rather than an act as the catechism has it a few of the old families never returned but their places were taken in time by enterprising farmers who during the war had seen this garden of the lord and returned to occupy it but most of them came back sooner or later for there is a drawing force about the prairie as about the mountains or the sea to those who have lived upon it which gets into the blood and brings one back to it sometimes it was only the young people that came as in the case of the lays and sometimes alas it was only the older ones that were left to come miss tiny and miss tony never returned before peace came they had both had free transportation to greener fields than are to be found in jackson county or even in their own loved virginia true it was beyond the swelling flood but they had been through such deep waters before that when they came to the great river it seemed but a friendly stream which would give them passage to the land of pure delight sally came back one day with ike swamscott and her mother and it seemed to mrs trevelyan and mrs devereux that they were beginning life over again in their daughters there is something a little sad in seeing one generation step aside for another but it is nature's law and perhaps after all it is the easiest way for us to understand how immortality is brought to life for so it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be world without end in a quiet ward of the asylum at fulton a fair-haired woman with childish blue eyes and a peach-blossom complexion walks up and down the long hall pressed to her breast is a formless child whose garments are fashioned with care but never need shortening among those withered ones whose springs of intelligence have been tapped and the joy-giving waters taken thence she looks strangely out of place even the dull eyes look after her and light up as she passes she is like a gleam of sunlight in a place of shadows but it is sunlight falling on ice it is beautiful but it does not vivify the doctor is passing through she comes to him and says wistfully as she has said with each revolving sun will beverly come to-day not to-day the doctor tells her gently to-morrow perhaps oh to-morrow well i can wait one more day doctor with a pathetic little attempt at courage and it is tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and he for whom she waits sleeps peacefully under the willow ah god sometimes mercifully takes from us memory 
and leaves us hope a sad case the doctor says as they pass on one of the wrecks of war she saw her father shot down and buried her husband with her own hands at a time when she needed tenderest care yes quite hopeless i think but the doll baby is a comfort to her and if the semblance of humanity can so feed the springs of maternal love which bubbled up for one brief space and then took hold upon eternity what could not be done by a sentient soul as water in a thirsty land so is the love of a child to parched and withering lives upon the blighted hopes the blasted plans the purposes broken off little beverly laid a baby's touch and lo the barren wastes were covered with budding flowers and spring verdure the child crept into his grandsire's heart and brought with him a throbbing of the old ambitions this was beverly come back to him his name had not died out life was not quite all gone yet could keswick ever be restored for his grandson it was worth striving for the boy never knew he was motherless three women took him to maternal hearts one for love of the son who slept one in place of the child that had never been and one because he had lain first of all on her faithful breast each gave him love in unstinted measure and so by a beautiful compensation that we do sometimes see in life there was made up to him a loss that he never realized relations were established with miss abby cheever in the strangest possible manner one that could leave no doubt in their minds about the kindliness of her feeling for them or her sense of justice she had been living in lawrence since she left the prairie she had gone unscathed through the massacre and still taught school supplementing her earnings by giving music lessons one day she had a note from a lady in the outskirts of the town requesting her to call she wished her daughter to begin taking lessons on the piano miss abby went immediately pianos were a scarce article in kansas then she often had to substitute a melodeon and then the name interested her tigerman was a peculiar name she had never heard it except on grand prairie when she entered mrs tigerman's parlor into which she was ushered by her prospective pupil a strange sense of familiarity stole over her where had she seen a wilton carpet like this and this chickering piano over the mantel hung a portrait in oil of a stately gray-haired gentleman miss abby was standing before it when the lady of the house appeared when she turned to meet her hostess that lady had a vague feeling that she had seen her caller before where she could not tell she did not associate her at all with a stranger in the trevelyan pew four years and such years 
had left their imprint even upon miss abby and then mrs tigerman had never really met her face to face which had been the head and front of mrs trevelyan's offending even her name did not betray her identity in missouri according to the custom of the country she had always been called miss abby here she was miss cheever i have just been admiring your picture miss abby said after the salutations and the business negotiations were over is it a copley mrs tigerman looked at her with sudden suspicion she did not know the copleys but she would take no chances no she said shortly it ain't it's a tiger man when miss abby learned that the trevelyan family had returned to jackson she wrote a letter to the colonel i want to tell you she said that virginia's piano and your father's portrait are in lawrence i am ashamed to tell it for they were brought here by a united states soldier but right is right if you will come to lawrence with a search warrant i will tell you where they may be found so the old chickering came back once more to keswick and grandfather trevelyan smiled down upon the third and fourth generations of them that loved him in one of the deep wooded ravines the turn into the blue a peaceful spot for such gruesome work there was found one day at the close of the war a skeleton the very clothes were rotted and dank but in the breast pocket of the coat was found a paper that produced no little excitement on grand prairie it was the marriage certificate of beverly trevelyan and lois chandler and was identified by the old preacher who had returned as the one he had written out for beverly the night he was shot it pointed strongly to the fact that this was his murderer there was no certain proof as to who the man was but the paper was found in a torn envelope which had on it the name e m m o the rest was gone it was believed to be Amon's Baird. In the center of the frontal bone was a bullet hole. The avenger who had sought him for nine long years had found him at last. End of chapter 47 Recording by John Brandon